Welcome back to another edition of James Reed's Forge. Today we're going to be looking at the book of James. The book of James is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and I'm going to tell you why in just a few minutes. But for now, let's do a little brief introduction to the book of James. James is one of the seven letters we call the general epistles. James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Jude differ from what we call the Pauline epistles in that they were not addressed to a particular church or to an individual, but a much wider audience. And as we will read, James does, however, address this letter to the 12 tribes of Israel who are scattered at the time of the writing. James is going to talk to us about works in this book, but don't let that confuse you. As we will see, he compliments what Paul wrote about justification by faith in Romans chapter 4. He does not contradict Paul. James was the brother of Jesus, our Lord, according to Matthew 4.21. He was converted by the risen Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. And he was a man of great authority, according to Acts chapter 12, verse 17, 15, verses 13 through 29, and 21, 17 through 18. This book is believed to be one of the earliest New Testament books, and it was probably written between 45 to 50 A.D. I always favor an early date. And maybe in some future podcast we will talk about how we go about dating the books and knowing when they were written approximately and how we arrive at these dates but I am in favor of an early date for the New Testament writings for reasons that I'll probably explain in a future podcast. But as we get into the book of James, think of a living body. How do we know a person is alive? We know they're alive because they move, they breathe, they respond. And movement and response doesn't give life, does it? But it is an uh, an, uh, extension of the life that is already present. In other words, dead people don't move. But if I'm alive, I can move. And the movement is not what makes me alive. I move because I am alive. So the point is, as Christians, we don't work for our salvation. Salvation is free. And it's finished and complete because of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. But we do work. We work because we are saved. We work because we have been brought to life. A natural outcome of being born again is faith in action. So my first study into the book of James happened when I was a teenager or a preteen, somewhere along in there. Don't really exactly remember how old I was. I could have been as, as young as 12. But there was a young man who was attending our church who was also a Bible college student. And he approached me one day after church, and he had asked if, 
and I'd be interested in meeting with him about 30 minutes before church, either on a Sunday or a Wednesday. I, I truly don't remember. But together we would go through the book of James, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And if I'm correct about this, and it was a while ago, and so my memory could be wrong, but I think what we would do is we would rotate a chapter each week. And it was the first time that I'd ever taken this kind of an approach to a Bible study. And it was the first time that I can clearly remember biblical concepts becoming clear to me because I could see how things related. I had grown up in a church that did topical preaching and teaching. And the idea that you could go through a book and take it verse by verse um, was kind of a new idea to me. And it was very refreshing. And I believe that even back then, God was calling me to this particular method of Bible study where you take it verse by verse. Um, and I and I really, I, I love it. Now, let me be clear. Um, there is a place for topical preaching and topical teaching. The danger with topical teaching and preaching is that Preachers and teachers tend to pick their favorite subjects and never really move off of those favorite subjects. And so when you take a chapter, or I'm sorry, when you take a book of the Bible and you read it verse by verse, and then of course those verses compile together and become a chapter, and then you move to the next chapter and so on, and you take it in this particular uh, structure, it forces you to keep the scriptures into context. And what do I mean by that? Um, when we talk about context, we're talking about what was happening historically at the time. How would the original uh, readers understand what was being written? What was the original intent of the author? And to be clear, when we talk about the author of a book, and I've mentioned that Paul wrote books, or that, in this case, James is, has written a letter here. Um, and, and I'll say something like, uh, even in our previous study on Jonah, I talked about how that it um, probably is the case that Jonah was writing this, uh, reflecting back on an event that had happened in his life. So when we say, a person wrote the book, we are not in any way implying that it's not the inspired word of God. What we are saying is, these are the men by name that the Holy Spirit gave the exact words that the Holy Spirit wanted to be written. We believe in the inspiration of Scripture, which means what? That God literally breathed. God breathed. That's what it means. That um, it's theonostos, meaning God breathed. God breathed and the Holy Spirit moved on the hearts of men and they wrote according to what he wanted. And um, it's beautiful when you begin to look at it because you see the style of the human author, yet the inspiration coming from the Holy Spirit moving in the hearts of men chosen for that purpose. And so... Uh, it's important that we take things verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and remember the context. Again, 
Who are they writing to? Is there a particular issue that they are that they are addressing in their writing? So uh, keep those things in mind as we go through verse by verse. So we're going to begin now with James chapter one. We're going to start at verse one, and uh, we'll read the entire chapter, and then we will go back and. Uh, As we've done, we will do the teaching uh, one verse at a time. So let's take a look. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field he will pass away, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he has drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed 
in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That is amazing. The Word of God. It is always amazing. So as we look at the introduction here, I would remind you all that when they wrote letters at this time in history, um, it was not like we write letters today. At the end of a letter today, we might say, sincerely, or yours truly, or with love and affection, or best wishes, or whatever, and then we sign our name at the end of the letter, and we begin the letter with the person it's addressed to, dear so-and-so. In the New Testament, as we read these letters that were written to the first believers in Christ, um, you see the typical style where it begins with the person who is writing the letter. In other words, they don't wait to the end and say, sincerely, James. It begins right off the top telling you who wrote it, James. And then immediately it follows who, um, who it's to. So from actually comes first from James and then to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. What I want to focus on here in the first verse is where it says bondservant of Jesus Christ. This is the same term that Paul uses of himself in Romans, Philippians. You find the same term in Titus. And of course, obviously, we just read it here in James. But Peter says it of himself in 2 Peter. Jude says it of himself. So you have six times in the New Testament where this phrase, bondservant of Jesus Christ, is used. And I just want to take a moment and define that term, bondservant. I want to talk to you about a word which is almost considered a curse word in our culture here in the American West. Um, and that word is slave. Um, we don't like the word slave or slavery in our culture. And... There's probably a lot of good reasons behind that. However, I want to remind you, dear Christian, dear listener, you are a slave. You are either going to be a slave to sin or you are going to be a slave to Jesus. We are all slaves. You are either going to be a slave to your flesh, to lust and the pride of life, and all of the things that go with that, and you will be bound to that, and you will serve that, you will serve your sin, or you will be bound to Jesus Christ. He will be your master, and you will be his slave. But that is the situation that you are in, dear friends. You are a slave right now, and I know many of you think that you are free, and that's okay. You can think that if you want to. But you are a slave. We are all slaves. So this term here where it says bondservant, really, you could think of a slave. So what is a bond servant then? 
A bond servant would be someone who once was a slave, and oftentimes what would happen, and I know, again, these are uh, strange concepts, even hard concepts uh, for those of us who have been born in freedom and we have experienced freedom the way it is defined in American culture. It's hard to get these concepts sometimes, but there were relationships between a slave and a master, and many times... Uh, what would happen is uh, they would become close. They would become friends. The slave would become almost like a member of the family. And so there would come that time where the master would say to the slave, Slave, I'm going to set you free. Uh, perhaps it was an indentured servant kind of a thing where the indentured servant was working off a debt and the debt was paid and the freedom was given. Or sometimes... The master would say, listen, you know, you've been working here for so long and, and you're just like part of our family. Um, I can no longer be your master and you are no longer a slave. I grant you your freedom. And so what would happen in the case of a bond servant is this bond servant would say, thank you so much, master. I'm glad to have my freedom, but I want to stay with you. I want to be here with you. And so the status would then change from someone who was a slave with uh, being held there because of the master-slave relationship, uh, maybe even held there against his will. It would go from that indentured servitude kind of a relationship where I'm working off a debt to now, it's, it's now, no, I want to be here. I am choosing to stay here. I want to continue in my work, and I will work for you. And I'm staying here voluntarily. What a difference. What a change. Can you imagine such a thing? And that is what a bond servant was. Someone who had who had been bonded to that master and decided to stay. So we see this term here, bond servant of Jesus Christ. And what do we get from that? Why am I spending so much time on the very first verse, just one verse here, talking about one word, and that one word is bond servant. A bond servant of Jesus Christ. It's because of this. I could just hear these men of God saying, where else would I go? I don't want to go anywhere else. Jesus, I want to stay here with you. I want you, Jesus, to be my master. I don't want to try to be my own master. I don't want to be a slave to sin. I want to be a slave of Christ. So there are other words that are used in other places too to describe the relationship of these men who wrote the New Testament. One word is apostle. Paul in First and Second Corinthians is called an apostle. In Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, the word apostle. In First and Second Timothy, apostle. Peter in First Peter is called an apostle. So in Second Peter, he's called a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In First Peter, he's called an apostle. So you hear that word apostle 
eight times. Now the word apostle isn't here in James, but I am going to spend just a little bit of time talking about it so you know definitions. Apostle simply means this, one who is sent out. So we've got bondservant, was used six times throughout the New Testament. The word apostle is used eight times in the, I guess you could call it the address line. And then one time Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ in Philemon. A prisoner of Jesus Christ. So there's a total of 15 times we see these phrases being used. So why am I bringing that up? Why do I make such a big deal about these titles and how these men refer to themselves? Well, here's a question for you. If you were to die right now, what would you be known for? What would you want to be known for? Notice that these men wanted to be known for one thing, and that is they were servants of Jesus Christ. They were sent out by him to preach the good news, the good news of salvation. So now that we have kind of established how these men wanted to be remembered, how they desired to be thought of, and really what they thought of themselves, um, we're not talking about all the men of the New Testament. We're not talking about every book in the New Testament and who wrote them all. We're focusing on James. So I'd like to turn our attention to this particular James. You might be wondering, um, how do we know uh, who wrote the book of James? After all, there's four different, there's at least four different Jameses mentioned in the New Testament, right? Well, one by one, we can eliminate them uh, for various reasons, and we can arrive at James, the brother of Jesus, really the half brother of Jesus. So you have James, the father of Judas, and then you've got James, the son of Alphaeus. Um, these two are mentioned in the New Testament, um, but um, they are obscure. And early martyrdom is where James, the brother of John, went, uh, where he gave his life for the faith. So there's three of them right there. Um, Charles Swindoll wrote, the best candidate for the writing of this epistle is James, the Lord's half-brother. Um, and, you know, the authorship of any book in our Bible always matters, the human authorship. Authorship lends credibility to a given book's accuracy, not only in matters of history and doctrine, but in a continuity throughout the Bible as a whole. And that's what's going on here. That's the case here. If we note the similarities in Greek between the epistle and the speech by James recorded in Acts 15, you'll see certain similarities there. Um, you'll have all the support you need for the claim of authorship being that particular James in Acts, in Acts 15, which was the half-brother of Jesus. 
And you'll also begin to see a connection between the truths taught here and uh, other books of the Bible as well. Because there's one theme. And so, with that being said, we're going to wrap it up here for our uh, first discussion on James chapter 1. I know we only got into one verse, but we did read the whole chapter. We're going to pick it up in the next podcast. The book of James is five chapters long, and we're going to take our time, and we'll take as many uh, segments as we, as we need to get through the entire book, taking it one verse at a time. Until then, may God bless you. I hope this is an encouragement to you, and I hope that you find yourself growing and knowing Jesus Christ.